Hey guys, this week's episode is brought to you by YNAB, aka You Need a Budget. They're the online budgeting tool that we actually started using last year after you guys recommended it to us. And now YNAB wants to give our listeners three months to try them out for free. Just sign up at ynab.com slash YHL to get started. That's ynab.com slash YHL. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. This week, we're taking inspiration from someone who committed to a year-long shopping ban. We're also sharing how and how not to involve your kid in their room's design, and how a DNA test led us to some surprising discoveries. I want to talk about a book I read that was a great read, and I'm highly recommending it. It is a nonfiction book called The Year of Less by Kate Flanders. And the whole crux of the book is basically that she takes a year-long shopping hiatus. She calls it a shopping ban. And she has rules for what she can and can't buy. So it's not like she's not paying her utilities or buying food. But it's hardly any, like, fun shopping, like fashion or buying frivolous items. Like Pillows. When, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have trouble. But I love reading things like this because it stretches me. And, it, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that we're – always looking to live more simply and have less clutter and just like focus more on living and less on managing and buying things. Is that why she did it? Yes. So the interesting thing about her is that she's very open in this book. You know, it's it's very much partially a memoir and she talks about how she had a um, alcohol addiction and she quit that and was counting her months sober. And then after that, she had kind of a food addiction where she was binge eating. And, you know, that's also not healthy. And then she noticed that all these things she was doing to try and fill herself up and make herself feel whole, you know, like drinking to feel better, eating to feel better. She felt like she had sort of transitioned that over to shopping too much to fill herself up, to make her feel happy. Oh, so she would like conquer one addiction, but then replace it with another. Exactly. And so that was like the third thing she wanted to really conquer. And so she did develops these rules for a year-long shopping ban. And she says, what I'm allowed to shop for, groceries and basic kitchen supplies, cosmetics and toiletries, but only when I run out. So she can't go to Rite Aid and just like grab new eyeshadow for fun. Like only when the current stuff she has is gone can she replace it. Cleaning products, gifts for others, which I thought was really nice. Oh, that's a nice exception. Yeah, she didn't want this to become like other people have to suffer. Well, keeping your own purchases in check, making sure they have a purpose when you're spending money, I guess. Exactly. And she said, what I am not allowed to shop for, any takeout coffee. She found herself going to Starbucks a lot, spending a lot of money. She knew she'd save money. Um, Household items like candles, decor, furniture, etc., And electronics. She said, like, I have what I need. And then the approved shopping list. This was like a little added part at the end to clarify. She said, I am allowed to get one outfit for multiple weddings. I know that's coming up. One dress and one pair of shoes. And she said being this specific really helped her because it wasn't like, I'm not going to buy any clothes and accessories. Well, except for the ones I need. So she literally outlined things that she would need. And then at the bottom of the list, she says, and I must stay accountable on my blog. So she oh. blogged about everything, which really helped her. And actually, her blog helped her with her sobriety and her eating, too. I think she's always shared these changes she's making in her life. I'm impressed she was able to do it for a year because it actually reminds me of another article I read recently, which I should try to dig up, where someone was saying they do these sort of spending hiatuses, and they found that they have to do at least a month for the habit to stick. Like sometimes he and his wife would do just like a week or two weeks, and they would get through the week just fine without having to really adjust their habits that much. But as soon as the 
week was over, they just went right back to spending as normal. And so it wasn't until they extended it to a month and actually went through the pain of not being able to buy new things for that long. Like I think he said in the article that it was really hard. Like there were weeks in there where he was really down on himself and was second guessing the decision. But by the end, they really shifted their habits and were saving more money and uh, spending less frivolously. So I don't think I could do a year a month sounds more possible. But I don't know. Did, did you get encouraged by reading this to actually give it a try? Well, I've been toying with us doing a month and sort of reporting about it on the podcast. Like we could try to do a no spend month. The only thing that we'd have to outline is obviously like duplex expenses. Like if the wiring has to go in, that's right. like a utility to me. Like that's a bill I have to pay the contractors out there doing their work. Yeah, but it's a slippery slope because like we're in the process of trying to finish the beach house and decorate that. So does that decor count or would you cut yourself off from that? No, I think I'd have to cut myself off from that. That's Ooh. not like a necessity. Like paying someone to rewire the house right. is different to me than buying a new quilt. Interesting. I know. I'm toying with it. What about crystals, Sherry? No more crystals. I'm on a crystal hiatus because I ordered too many crystals too quickly. And John was like, listen, I'm going to have to make a new category in our spending for crystals because you're buying too many crystals. That's like a budget line item. (laughs) Well, let's think about this. Maybe we should do that. Um, We'll have to figure out a good month to do it because we are going on vacation soon. (laughs) Well, see, she even went on vacation and was fine. I think she even pointed out like when she's traveling, she's less bored at home going online and buying things and walking through stores mindlessly to just like spend a weekend downtown shopping she wouldn't do that but as you were saying I do think it's totally about breaking the habit a lot of the book is interesting to hear how it's really really painful in the beginning it's just her instinct to go grab a takeout coffee it's her instinct to buy a book it's her instinct to just go on Amazon and put things in the cart yeah I think some people like when you're bored you might eat and some people when you're bored you go shop online or you go out shopping like that's how you fill time where you don't have something else to do Exactly. I just think there's a lot of great lessons in the book. Again, it's called A Year of Less by Kate Flanders. We'll link it in the show notes for you. I would love to hear what you guys think if you read it. Well, and for my what's new, I've got some bad news to report after last week's episode. I have gone down the phone use rabbit hole. I have binged. And I can sort of blame social media, but not Facebook and Instagram because I have not reinstalled them. Instead, I have found a new social media that I'm spending hours on. Is it a social media? I don't know, but I think all the cool kids are doing it. All the hip cats. Get ready for this, guys. It's something called Ancestry.com. And yes, it's not really a social media, but I have been digging into it like crazy lately. And let me explain why. It actually goes back to Black Friday, you know, back in November. I found a deal on those Ancestry DNA kits, you know, where you like send in a sample of spit. Saliva. Excuse me, saliva. And they tell you what your DNA breakdown is in terms of where your ancestors came from. So we got these kits that I think are normally $99 for $59. And Sherry and I finally got around to sending them in uh, around January. And we just got the results back a couple weeks ago. There was a long line for some reason. Everybody's doing it. Um, They are processing DNA, Sherry. It is not a fast thing. It's not like CSI on TV. They're like, I have a hit. Yeah, I don't think it actually goes like that. So we got our results back. I would say I was a little bit underwhelmed. What, What about you, Sherry? So at first I was underwhelmed because it's very clear my family's ancestry we know because they came over more recently. You know, I I know I'm half Italian and I know that the other side of my family is Austrian Jewish and they came over fleeing religious persecution and I knew I'd come back as like Eastern European Jewish and Italian. But I'm also a small percentage Middle Eastern and a small percentage of North African, which I think is so cool. 
Like, I really wanted to be a lot of things. And at first, when I got the results, I was like, uh... Tell me what I don't know. Right. It's just funny because you think, oh, I, I pretty much know my lineage. I was doing it mostly just to be sure. <laughs> right. Sherry and I work, so I did find out we are not related. Right. No, Not related at all because everyone says, why do you guys look so much like... And your children are clones. Like, we make children who look exactly alike. So are we all relatives? So we're not. <laughs> nope. Nope. I do have some Austrian heritage, but not Jewish-Austrian. And I think actually that was my reaction too, is that it kind of told me what I already knew. Uh, I had to do a ancestry report in eighth grade. So I knew already that I was kind of half Irish and Scandinavian and half like Eastern European, German, Czech Republic-ish. Like 25% Hugge. Hugge. Right. I do have some Hugge in my background. <laughs> so that just confirmed for me all those things, but it did get me just started on going down the Ancestry.com rabbit hole. I used the free trial to kind of dig up some more of my family tree that I hadn't ever seen before. And that was actually the really interesting thing to me. So I am glad I took the DNA test just to find the entrance to that rabbit hole because I was able to dig back to some ancestors on my mom's side whom I knew had immigrated from Ireland and Great Britain at some point, but I didn't realize how far back it was. I thought they came in like the 1800s at some point. That's when my dad's side came over here, most of them. I mean, my actual grandfather, my dad's dad, came over himself through Ellis Island in like 1912. So I have some generations that don't go back very far before we immigrated to the United States. But my mom's side goes back to the 1600s, which I had no clue about. And the really cool thing was when I went back to these people that were from the 17th and 18th century, I found that my fifth great grandfather fought in the Revolutionary War, which I did not know. I had no clue. And on top of that, he fought for the militia in the county that we live in right now. Guys, can I impress how weird that is? Because no one in John's family lived in this county until about 20 years ago. So it's so funny to me. It's not like we all grew up here. We've been here for many generations. Right. It was like someone 300 years ago yeah. found their way to this county. And then everybody disappeared from this area until 300 years later. And we ended up back in this area. It was destiny. We're fulfilling our destiny by living here, Sherry. It's so crazy. And I think the other takeaway I had from going through this, because a lot of it is just names and birth dates and death dates. And so you're not getting a whole lot of personal stories, unfortunately. But it was kind of almost a humbling experience because when you get a sense of how your family lived long ago, it makes you very grateful for the hardships that you don't have anymore. Like, for instance, um, this same grandfather that fought in the Revolutionary War, we found his will at least a transcription of his will. And he in it left to his wife things like one bed and its bedding and a cow and the clock it was like literally I bestow upon my wife the clock. They had one clock and it was called the clock. It wasn't like these 16 clocks. It had a frying pan, one frying pan. It was typed as a fraying pan. <laughs> there was a typo that we giggled about. Because I like the idea of a fraying pan. Also, he listed his cupboards and dubbards. Which we also, no, it was cupboards and dubbard wear, oh, which me. we think was another typo because I think it's cupboards and cupboard wear. I don't know what a dubbard wear is. <laughs> we Google dubbard wear. It's not a thing. But my point is this man's worldly possessions fit on like two lines. And to think, you know, how far that we have all been able to come because of the hardships that they endured. I mean, I also found one of my great aunts in like 1912 died from appendicitis when she was 14. And I had my appendix out from appendicitis when I was 12, and it was no biggie. 
You I know. know. It's so crazy. It's, it's in your family line and someone has died from it. But yeah. now thanks to modern medicine, it wasn't a big deal I for know. you. I know. The difference of 80 years meant that like, for me, I just missed a couple days of school. I know. And I kept thinking how random it is that we are who we are. Because at any point along the line, if one person wasn't with that person, like if my great grandmother didn't marry my great grandfather, I wouldn't be me. Right. You know, like everything in that line leads to us at the bottom of it and our children and it goes on and on. And it's it's crazy to think like, well, if someone came over a year later, they wouldn't have met. You know, like there's all these moving pieces around the globe, not just within a city. And it's crazy how your family finds their place after they come over. So if you have any interest in this sort of thing, I didn't really pin myself as someone interested in lineage and ancestry, but I've had a great time on Ancestry.com the last few days. So I'll put a link in the show notes to it. Again, you can use a free trial. Um, I don't know what the cost is for the DNA test these days. But again, I was so, so on that part of it. I immediately sent my results to my brother and he was like, I'm doing it right now. Like he was so into it because we want to see like, well, first of all, it should be exactly the same, (laughs) but we look a lot different. Like he's very, very tan. So I was like, do this and we'll confirm that we're really brother and sister. (laughs) You're turning into a Maury Povich show. (laughs) Well, it's the exact opposite. I wanted to not be related to you, but I want to make sure he's really my true brother. (laughs) I feel like both of our what's news and we're kind of like we're diggings. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were. Kind of jumped the gun like, I was, we're newing. I know, but they were new and we have other things we're digging. Yes, we are digging things later in the episode. But first, I have a game for you. I know it's been a while since we've done one of these, but this one is actually a throwback to episode 24, which I'm sure you remember very distinctly, Sherry. Mm -mm. You quizzed me about Zillow's paint color analysis report, where they basically looked through their thousands of home sales and put together a report of what paint colors helped homes sell for more and which made a house sell for less. Yeah, I love that one. So you quiz me. I, I will point out that I got them all right. That one was a little bit surprising, though, in some ways. Well, so that was based on the 2016 paint color analysis. And last year, they released the 2017 one. And originally, I was like, how much could it really change in a year? Like paint colors don't really fluctuate that much. Right. Tan, gray, tan, gray, tan, gray. Um, surprise, basically all of them changed. Really? Yes. So I'm going to quiz you on the 2017 Zillow paint color analysis about what colors made homes sell for more and which made them sell for less. We're going to go room by room, starting with the kitchen. I'm going to give you two colors. You tell me which is the one that sold for more. The other one is the one that sold for less. In the kitchen, is it blue or yellow? Oh, geez. It was yellow and now it's blue. You're right. I can't believe you remembered it was yellow. No, I didn't remember. But I think warm, sunny yellow kitchens was like a thing that was happening maybe five years ago. And now it's much more cool colors in the kitchen. No, but you're missing the point that in 2016, yellow was the one that helped kitchens sell for more. Oh my gosh. And now it's literally for less. Yes. Like it flipped in one year. Apparently. I mean, they do put some nuance. Like in 2016, it was creamy or wheat colored yellow. That was good. And in 2017, it's straw yellow or marigold. That's bad. Huh. Interesting. There is some nuance, I guess. But you got that one right. Uh, Moving on to the bathroom. What do you think helps sell for more? Blue slash purple or white slash no color? White sells for more. Blue slash purple sells for less. Wrong. Really? Oh. And by a lot, apparently blue slash purple helped homes sell for $5,000 more. Wow. Whereas a white bathroom sold for $4,000 less. 
Dang, man, I just thought it can't be blue again. The kitchen was blue. I'll go white. (laughs) Well, and for reference, last year's colors, the winner was tan for bathrooms and the loser was brown. Yeah, who wants a brown bathroom? For bedrooms in 2017, pink or blue? 2017? Millennial pink? Let me think. I mean, we can't paint the whole house blue. Just for fun, I'll say pink and blue is bad. Just for fun, you're wrong. Ah! (laughs) It can't all be blue, John. That's a boring report. Can it? (laughs) Uh, Blue sold for more. They said a a cadet blue or cerulean blue. And for pink, they said light pink to antique rose was bad because it's often found in kids' rooms. I thought you were going to say cadaver blue. And I was like, no, I'm not painting my room cadaver blue. (laughs) Even if that's the prettiest paint color on this watch, don't use that one, guys. (laughs) Okay, moving on to the dining room. Is it blue or red? Well, of course it's blue because it's not red. It is blue. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sensing a trend? Like 15 years ago, all the houses had the formal red dining room. Yep. Uh, They said a slate blue or pale gray blue, also navy blue, above white shiplap did very well. Ooh, that's what we did in the show house back in 2014. So it's it's Yeah, that was a very dark blue. It was like a gray blue, like slate. But red, avoid the brick reds, terracotta, or coppers. Hmm. Oh, and for reference, in 2016, it was purple for dining rooms. That was good. Really? Yep. Moving on to the living room. Is it brown or blue? It's clearly blue. It's actually brown. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In an upset, brown was the better color. They do qualify it as a light beige or a pale taupe. Um, that's not brown. <laughs> yeah, I, I took issue with that, but I can only read what the report said, Sherry. Mm-hmm. And lastly, they added for 2017 a new category, which was home exterior. And this one is a toughie because it's between gray slash brown. I was just going to say it's going to be gray or navy, which are both very in. No, it's between gray slash brown and just brown. Oh, come on. Well, it's gray slash brown. Of course. Of course. Guys, in general, if what you're hearing is too hard to follow along with, people are leaning less towards super warm. That whole Tuscan look with like the burnt sienna and the oranges and the super, super warm saturated yellows. That was 2016. (laughs) I know. It's funny to me that last year some of these things were in according to Zillow, but I have felt just from staging and knowing comps and designing houses and being a blogger, I have noticed this movement. People are still doing warm tones but they're doing sort of mid-warm like a sand tone that is not gray but it's not tan is called grayish and that's in that is literally the word that zillow used for the home exterior of 2017 is grayish that gray brown is a mix of gray beige is what they say yes i think we're boomeranging back past the really cool super icy blues and we do more of like a gray blue or a warmer blue I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but there are definitely more muted, muddy blues that are a little bit less cool. And then, of course, we're also doing still a lot of light gray walls, soft platinum walls, but we're also seeing a ton of this resurgence of like a light tan, a light sand color. We have that almost throughout our entire house. The entire beach house is a light sand tone called white heron. And so I think we are not going super warm, but we're also not going icy, icy cold. So if you guys want to see this full report, you can find it in the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast. Again, it's Zillow's 2017 paint color analysis that they put out last year. And also in the show notes, I'll add some of my favorite paint colors. Um, They're light neutrals, whether you're looking to move or just freshen things up. These are the colors I love. And next up, we're going to take a listener question that came to us via voicemail. 
Hi, John and Sherry. My name is Kat. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. My question is that I have two young boys, both under the age of three, and they're about to move into a room together. And I was just wondering your thoughts and experiences on how much you let your kids decorate their room and what areas kids can have influence versus what area you think sort of the parents should take the lead. Any thoughts and feedback you have would be so welcome. Thanks so much. This is a great question, Kat, because I think it's something that a lot of us worry about, especially as our kids are getting older. I feel like we should start this response by pointing out that every kid is different and they will want different levels of an involvement in their room. Some kids may want complete control and some may not care at all. And that may happen at different ages for different kids. I think parents are also different and might have different levels of concern about how their kids' rooms look. But for us, and I think most of you guys who are listening, the goal is that you want a space that everyone is happy with that the kid feels like is theirs, but also the parent feels like fits in their home as a whole. Yeah, and I think guide is a helpful term. I don't want anyone listening to think that we want to control them, force them, make them have something they don't like. The goal is to create a room that everybody likes for this fleeting moment in time, you know, before later they take the wheel. Right, exactly. I think what has worked for us, as Sherry said, is this idea of guide and not necessarily dictate things to them and make them feel like they're part of the process. Even if you behind the scenes are sort of setting them up for success, I'll say. So one suggestion is rather than walk into a conversation with kids and say, hey, what do you want your room to look like? Talk to them about the feel of the room so that you can get their input on, you know, do they want it to be relaxing? Do they want it to be really happy and fun? Do they want it to be, I don't know, dark and moody? If you get a sense of how they want the room to feel, then you can take that input and convert it into actual items and decor choices. Yeah, I was going to say that the interesting thing about kids' rooms is that you don't just have to paint the walls a color to make the room feel colorful. And even a kid who says, I want blue, I love a blue room, you can get blue bedding and art with blue in it. You could even do like a soft, gauzy blue curtain. There are lots of ways to get color in a kid's room. And I will tell you, you want the room to last a long time for practicality reasons. And sometimes these bold shades are much smarter to put on things like bedding or curtains or art that can be changed out. If you do it on the wall, it's like a big hollabaloo to take all the furniture out and repaint if in a year they don't want electric blue walls. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, don't let your kid pick the paint color. That may be a controversial statement. I'll refine that. Okay. If you have three or four choices that all of which you would like, you could bring those paint chips to the child and say, which one's your favorite for the walls? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like you curate the selections and they can pick from them, but don't give them a paint deck and say, pick your favorite color because at that age, I would have picked the crazy saturated color that once on the walls might make for a very overwhelming space. Well, right. Even adults have a hard time picking the right paint color from the little test swatches. Yeah. And we've talked over and over again how you want something muddier because when the color goes on the walls, it will amplify. So your child might pick an electric blue that looks good as a one by one inch swatch, but on the wall, they might be like, yee, this room is yeah. crazy. So I think in all things, it's about taking their input, finding choices, all of which you would like, and then involving them in the process of finalizing those choices. Exactly. And that goes for like the paint, the art, the rug. Just find a few things you like and say, hey, do you like this one or this one? And then I do believe in giving them some things that are completely theirs. Let them choose the sheets. 
They're under the bedding. I went to Target expecting our almost four-year-old to choose Spider-Man sheets. I held them up. He chose a striped sheet. You braced yourself for Spider-Man. I braced myself, but I was willing to give him whatever sheets he wanted. SpongeBob, sure. Ninja Turtles, fine. For our daughter, we did the same thing. She picks out her sheets. She picks out a lot of things that are like accessory-wise. If she needs a new basket to contain her toys, I will go through Target with her and say, pick a basket that you're going to put all that stuff in, and she will choose it. Well, and that raises an interesting point is that I think some people walk into this process thinking like they need to let their kid make all the choices. And I think the truth of it is, at least in our experience, is that kids don't care about a lot of the choices. Like they're not going to have a lot of fun picking out a dresser. Right. And so you can feel safe knowing that some of these functional anchor pieces are things that you can have complete control on and they're probably not going to care. It's probably not going to take away from their feeling that they were involved in the process of creating the room. They want to pick out the fun things like the art and the bedding, the pillows or whatever. Even just the main colors, you know, they want some input. But I agree with you. They do not want to look at five dressers and debate the merits of a five drawer versus a six drawer. I barely want to do that. (laughs) Well, another thing I was going to say is that if your child seems really into a certain wall color and like feels really strongly like you're mean if you put the tan on the wall, I really do want the electric blue on the wall. One sort of workaround is you can paint the closet that color. A pop of color in a closet is really fun. And one thing we've personally done is in both of our kids' rooms, we did the closet Dora color. So not the closet. The closet stayed white, but the closet door in our daughter's room is like a bright watermelon pink. The door in our son's room is like a emerald green. And that's a great way to make rooms that are very neutral. Our daughter's walls and our son's walls are grayish. But those accents in the room, that big, bold color really makes the room feel like a kid's space. It makes it feel bright. They've never said, I want the whole wall to be that color. They were very happy with the doors being bright. Well, and you can also do other things like paint a piece of furniture that color, get a rug in that color. Like you can still take their input for a wall color and inject it somewhere else. And that likely will satisfy them. Right. And I have one more idea actually involve them as the room comes together physically. Like tell them, let's throw the pillows on the bed. Do you want to help mommy hang the art? Maybe they're tapping the nail if they're old enough to, you know, hammer with your assistance. Maybe they're helping you hang the curtains by clipping the little ring clips to all of them or sliding them onto the rod. Just physically getting them involved makes them have so much pride for their space. And at the end of the day, that's what this is about. You want them so excited about their room. You want them telling everyone about their room, telling grandma, I did the curtains. I helped mom hang the art. There is nothing better than a kid who has pride in their room. And I think that's a really easy way to involve them physically. Yeah, I think that's really important that they feel some sort of ownership of the room, whether it's from making the choices or helping actually execute and build the room. I mean, our daughter helped me put together the Ikea desk she has in her closet. You picked out the desk. Yes. And she loves it because the desk was her idea. So this is a perfect example. It encapsulates all the things. She mentioned she would like a desk in her room. I went to Ikea and got a desk I thought she would like. It has bright red inside when you pop it open, but it's white. So it's very pleasing. It goes with everything. And I got her a fun pink chair to go with it. We brought it home. She assembled it with John, so she felt very involved in the process. And once it was assembled, I said, okay, fill up the drawers. Go get colored pencils and crayons from the other room and put them in here. This is your room. She even said, oh, the floor's a little bit cold. And I took that information and I got a little faux sheepskin rug to put under the chair in that area so it's not cold for her. So it's really about making them feel heard and actually responding to their requests and ideas. And the last thing I'll add is that 
what we've realized is that except for when you do that first nursery or if maybe you move, it's really often about just transitioning an existing room as the child ages and not like fully revamping the whole thing. I mean, sure, you may do like a big refresh sometime where you tell the kid that we're going to redo your room completely. But for us, it's been about like swapping out the crib for a big kid bed or getting new curtains, you know, just making little updates here and there. Yeah, I think it's really gradual in most instances. Of course, when you're going from the crib to the bed, it's really fun to involve the kids again in like picking the sheets and helping you choose between three different comforters you already like. Right. But I think you're right. It just kind of evolves as they grow. And that might be great because their input at certain times can be dead on. Well, and it means that you can keep things sort of on the rails the whole time because you are just making small adjustments here and there. Like we haven't repainted our son's room at all. And so it still largely looks the same. Like he's not picking out new dressers. So we've been able to sort of maintain the original vision of his nursery that we had complete control over because he was in your stomach. Right. Right. So we've just been able to make these small tweaks along the way that he loves and we still love. Yeah, so we'll put some pictures of our kids' rooms and how they've evolved in the show notes so you can kind of see how it's been pretty gradual. And even though they both look really colorful and have really fun moments, if you really stare at them, it's amazing how much of them are actually neutral and there's just certain things being the pop of color adding that fun to the room. Yeah, and if any of you guys have a question you want us to tackle on a future episode of the podcast, you can always leave us a voicemail. The number is 5714YHLHAP. And even though we did sort of do we're digging at the beginning of the episode during the what's new section, we do have more, but that will be right after the break. So last fall, we did an episode about money and budgeting. And then afterwards, a ton of you guys recommended this online budgeting tool. And it was called You Need a Budget. Some people call it YNAB if they're cool. Yeah, we started using YNAB and really liking it. And then YNAB reached out to us to offer you guys a free trial. Yeah, so you guys can get three months of YNAB for free just by signing up at YNAB.com YHL. Yeah, it's cool because basically you can sync securely to your bank account so that it automatically uploads any new transactions to their budgeting tool. And you can categorize all of your spending. So you can see how much you're spending on food or dining out or clothing or renovations every month and really keep a handle on where your money is going. Right. And if you're trying to save up to pay something off like student loans or just to get more in savings, it's sort of like a wish list for where you want the money to go. Yeah. One thing I like to do each month is to set myself a really high goal for what we put into our savings account. Probably an unachievable goal, but it's helpful because at the end of the month and say we're starting to max out our dining out budget or maybe our fun money budget, it almost becomes a game where we say, can we adjust our spending so that we don't have to steal that money? money from the savings budget. Right. It's like, do we really need one more hot dog from the hot dog stand? Probably not. Well, well I mean, home. it is a hot dog. <laughs> we'll go home and we'll make some lunch. So there's lots of ways to use YNAB. And again, they're giving you guys three months to try it for free. Just sign up at YNAB.com YHL. There's no code to enter. Just sign up at that URL. Again, it's YNAB.com YHL. So this week I'm digging a TV show again, but this one is surprisingly actually about decorating. Oh, shocking. No housewives. It's not a game show. There's no murder. So what I'm digging this week is a show on HGTV called Restored by the Fords. And the reason I love this show 
is not because I love every single decorating decision, but I love it because it is so different and it is so risky for HGTV. Like they will paint a wood floor, they will take a big, beautiful mid-century hutch that was built in and original and they will cut it down and make a bar. And the whole time you're like, why are you doing that? (laughs) Yeah, the uh, Fords are brother and sister. They're not husband and wife. Yes, I like that too. Yeah, uh, Leanne and Steve, and I think they do their renovations in Pittsburgh, or the Pittsburgh area at least. And like Sherry said, they are very risky and they have a lot of houses on the show that have really unique architecture or unique features. And they do really interesting things with how to incorporate them and make them work. And they do have a very, I would say, modern aesthetic. They're not doing, you know, farmhouse or some of the other styles we've seen a lot of on HGTV lately. Right. It's very clean lines. A lot of it is like really old things, but mixed with modern. So it looks a lot more like house beautiful than country living. And again, when I'm watching it, I'm like, I don't know that I would do all of these things, but I love seeing someone stretch and I love taking the parts that I like. And then I just leave the things that are too crazy for me. I feel like they decorate their spaces almost as like art pieces where, you know, a lot of the shows are about making these like, you know, cozy family spaces to hang out in. They do that. But at the same time, I feel like they're supposed to be kind of show-stopping in an interesting way. So not necessarily a space I would want to live in myself, but it is fun to watch. Oh, see, some of them I would move right in. Some of them are a little bit too modern, like a really big round chandelier that looks like it could be in a gallery. Might be a little bit too cold for me. It's not under-decorated. It's just not overstuffed, if you know what I mean. Like it's a different aesthetic. And that's not taking anything away from Fixer Upper or Hometown. I love both of those shows. I think the people on Hometown are like the most adorable people I've ever seen in my life. I just think there's something kind of cool girl about Leanne and and like hipster about Steve in that they like are brazen. They will go for it. Like they're not predictable, which I love. So again, it's called Restored by the Fords on HGTV and I'll put some pictures and links in the show notes for you guys. Yeah, I have no idea when it airs because we just watch it on demand. So you can watch a bunch of episodes there. You can go on a binge if you want. And this week, what I'm digging is a service called Woven. Wohoven. Well, it's, it's spelled W-O-H-V-E-N. And what it is, is a subscription t-shirt service for men. So bear with me because I know that sounds a little bit weird. And it's actually very out of character for me <laughs> to rely on something like this because I don't do a lot of shopping, especially clothes shopping. But I found this company because one, I saw some of their Facebook ads months ago. And then I learned that Woven was started by a guy that we actually worked with years ago. He donated some art for the show house that we did back in 2014. And so that gave me pause and I checked it out. And while I don't totally love the subscription element of it, you sign up basically to get one t-shirt a month from them. The thing I like is that the t-shirts are really good quality. They are soft. They are sized well. I learned that I'm a large, not a medium for the first time in my life. (laughs) Congratulations. Yes, that was a a big day for me. (laughs) And you can sign up to get either plain t-shirts, you know, that are just a solid color, which is $9 per shirt, or shirts that have a graphic. And I like the graphics because they are cool, but generic. I know that sounds weird, but it's not like, uh, sports logo or like the things you can find at Old Navy that say like Brooklyn Boxing Club. And you're like, what the heck is the Brooklyn Boxing Club? You know, like, <laughs> am I part of a fake club? <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. These are just kind of like emblems and designs that are nice looking, but don't really mean anything specific. Like, Right, like I'm not like, oh, you're the president of the Kangaroo Club. Right, like an abstract tree or mountainscape. You'll have to look at them to see what I mean. But it's nice because if you sign up for the graphic t-shirt club, you don't have to worry that you're going to get something so specific that it doesn't really relate to you or that you'd never wear it. Like they're generic enough that they work for just about anyone. 
Yeah, the key, I think, is like non-specific subject, but really coolly art directed. Yes. Like the visuals look cool. You look hip and cool. <laughs> Without pretending that you're part of the surf and entomology club. Right, exactly. I will say, though, after getting a few of the graphic ones, I've switched over to just getting the plain t-shirts because I feel like they're going to be more universal. And I already have enough shirts with writing and words on them in my wardrobe that I could really stock up on some plain stuff. You know I'm going to make you cancel this for a no-spend month. You know what? <laughs> I'll just get a couple and then I'll be done. And while I will put a link to Woven in the show notes, I'm not going to put any pictures of me modeling the shirts because that just gets awkward for everyone. I mean, you were really good at modeling socks. Yeah, but that's my feet. I'm more of a foot model. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And if you're listening on the day that this episode comes out, March 19th, you're listening on Sherry's birthday. And you know what she wants? She wants you to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's the only thing she's wished for this year. And also, will you guys please keep sharing what you do while you listen? Like Diana on Instagram, who listened while in the hospital with her newborn son, who they just adopted the day before. Oh, now that is a good birthday. And don't forget to check out this week's show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Yeah, like some pictures of our kids' bedrooms and how they've evolved over time and a link to that Year of Less book that I love, love, love. And how about we throw in some pictures from Restored by the Ford so people can see what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, like, their rooms are super cool. They wear leather jackets. Like, they're definitely the cool kids at the reunion. Later. Bye. Are you ready for this? Mm Mm-hmm. Go, Sherry. It's your birthday. We're going to podcast like it's your birthday. (laughs) I don't Eh? know if I love that or hate Eh? that. I have mixed emotions about that.